Chapter Sixteen of Serapion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Serapion by Francis Stevens. Chapter Sixteen. Sabinus Testimony. When a murderer, for I name myself that, is called to confront across some thirty feet of courtroom the innocent man standing trial in his stead, he needs all his nerve, and a bit more, to keep steady under the questioning of even a friendly and considerate counsel. In fact, I was strangely more afraid of Marks than of District Attorney Clemens. I might, however, spared myself there. The impaneling of the jury had been a battle royal between Marks and Clemens, at which I was not present, but which had roused the newspaper men to gloating anticipation of the real battle to follow. Then Marks dropped out. I could hardly believe it. When Orlo, his junior associate, met me on the first day of the trial and broke the news, it proved lamentably true. By Orlo's account, he was a fat, clever little Russian, with an unmistakable nose, and a tongue that would slip into betraying V's and P's, by his account, Marx had finished with the talisman, against strict orders, from his physician. A book hit his head, explained Orlo. That was in September. It dropped off a shelf, and the brass corner cut his head. Oh, just a little bit. But he was careless. Infection set in, and now there is necrosis of the bone in his skull. To think of it, with such prints inside, he will be operated now, and when I went to see him this morning he was insensible. And to think of it, he added with melancholy and unconscious humor, it was the compiled statutes that may have ruined our Helidor marks forever. Well, we must do as we can do without him. This was poor consolation. Had it not been for Marx, I told myself, I would never have left Nils Berquist go to trial. Should I allow it to go on now, with our best hope, ors de combat? The second Marx, Helidor's brother, was in Europe, and Orlo, while brilliant in his fashion, was not a man to impress juries. His genius lay in the hunting out of technical refinements of law, ammunition, as it were, for the batteries which had brought rage to the heart of more than one district attorney. While he rose presently in court and asked for a delay in proceedings, Clemens' eye lighted. When Justice Ballington refused the request, a foregone conclusion, because Marx admittedly was in too serious a condition for the delay even to be measured, Clemens lowered his head suddenly. It might have been grief for his adversary's misfortune, or again it might not. Where I sat with other witnesses, I was intensely conscious of an absurd, brilliantly veiled little figure, two chairs behind me. This was my first glimpse of Alicia since the night of Berquist's arrest. Though I knew Marx had been granted at least two interviews with her, me she had resolutely refused to receive. Now I was relieved to find that her nearness brought no return of the supernormal influence I had suffered 
before in her vicinity. She sat stiffly upright and did not glance once in my direction. Perhaps her guides had advised her to don that awful veil of protecting purple for this occasion, or she may have worn it as a tribute to her husband's memory. It certainly gave her a more unusual appearance than would a crepe blackness behind which a newly made widow is wont to hide her grief. At her side towered the large form of Sabina Castle. The trial opened. One Dr. Frick appeared on the stand, and an elaborate, incomprehensibly described in surgical terms the wound which had caused Moore's death. I saw him handling a small, hideous object, gesturing with it to show exactly how it had been misused to a deadly purpose. Then for several minutes I didn't see anything more. Luckily all eyes in the courtroom were on either the doctor or the murderer. Nobody was watching me. The doctor's demonstration seemed to prove rather conclusively that my accident hypothesis was impossible. The file he showed could have been driven into the brain only by a direct hard blow. Dr. Frick was allowed to stand down. In establishing the offense, Clemens saw fit next to call Elisha herself. As her mistress arose, Sabina's massive bulk stirred uneasily, as if she would have followed her to the stand. At the inquest, the old colored woman's testimony had done more than cause Nils' indictment for murder. It had made a public and very popular jest of Alicia's claim to intercourse with spirits. But though in the first flush of excitement over Moore's death, Sabina had betrayed her, the woman was loyal to her mistress. When a murmur that was almost a titter swept the packed audience outside the rail, Sabina shook her head angrily, muttering to herself. The audience hoped much of Alicia, and its keen humor was not entirely disappointed. No sooner had she appeared than an argument began about her preposterously brilliant veil. The court insisted that it should be raised. Alicia firmly declined to oblige. She had to give in finally, of course, and when that peaked, white face with its strange eyes was exposed. The hydra beyond the rail doubtless felt further rewarded. The hydra believed her a fraud. They had reason. I, with greater reason, understood and pitied her. I thought she might break down on the stand. Alicia's character, however, was a complicated affair that set her outside the common run of behavior to Clemens' questions with sphinx-like impassivity and the precision of a machine. Her answers only confirmed Nil's story and mine to a certain point, and stopped there. There was not a word of spirits nor guides, not a hint of any influence more evil than common human passions not a suggestion, even, that she had formed an opinion as to which man, slayer or slain, was the first aggressor. I am sure that a more reserved and non-committal widow than Alicia never took the stand at the trial of her husband's supposed murderer. 
James, she said, wished Mr. Barber to remain. Mr. Berquist wished him to leave. They argued. No, I should not have called the argument a quarrel. I did not see Mr. Berquist strike James. While they were still talking, I lost consciousness of material surroundings. Yes, my loss of consciousness could be called a faint. The argument was not violent enough to frighten me into fainting. Yes, there was a reason for my losing consciousness. I lost consciousness because I felt faint. I was tired. I do that sometimes. Yes, I warned them that something bad was coming. I couldn't say why. I just had that impression. I did not see either James or Mr. Berquist assume a threatening attitude. Released at last, she readjusted her purple screen with cold self-possession and returned to her seat. It was Sabina Castle's next turn. Save in appearance, Alicia had not, after all, come up to public anticipations. In Savina, however, the Hydra was sure of a real treat in store. Judge Ballington rapped for order. Savina took her oath with a scowl. Every line of her face expressed resentment, but she was intelligent. To Clemens' questions, she gave grim, bald replies that offered as little grip as possible to public imagination. Yes, on the evening in question, she had been standing concealed behind the black curtains of Miss Lycia's cabinet, or box, as Sabina called it. No, Mars James did not know she was there. Miss Lycia and she had fixed it up so that one could enter the box from the back. Mars James had the box built with a solid wooden back, like a wardrobe. It stayed that way for a while. Then Mars James, he done got unsatisfied. Yas, the spirits did work in the box and come out of it too. But Mars James, he ain't suited yet. He want them spirits should work all the time. He never give my poor child no res. And so Alicia, who according to Sabina, could sometimes but not always command her spirits, devised a means to satiate Moore's scientific craving for results. While he was absent in another city, the two conspirators brought in a carpenter. They had the cabinet removed and a doorway cut through the plastered wall into a large closet in the next room. By taking off the cabinet's solid back and hinging it on again, it would just open neatly into the aperture cut to fit it. Alicia kept plenty of gowns hung over the opening in the closet beyond. Returning, Moore found his solid back cabinet apparently as before. From that time, however, the spirits were more willing to oblige than formerly. Ab uno dice omnes is invariably applied to the medium or clairvoyant caught in fraud, though translated from all fraud infer all deceit. The world laughed over the spiritualistic fake again exposed. I did not laugh. Let it be that the hand which Roberta and I had seen was Sabina's gnarled black paw, 
and that my impression of its unsubstantiality was a self-delusion let those strange little twirling flames that had arisen pass as the peculiar fireworks i had tried to believe them let even the incident of the broken lamp have been a feat of sabina's though how her large clumsy figure could have stolen out past the table and into the room unheard was a puzzle and the masculine voice of horace a wonderful ventriloquism grant all these as deceptions there had come that to me through alicia's unwilling agency which had given me a terrible faith in her that no proof of occasional fraud could dispel clemens interrogations touched lightly on the subject of the door in the cabinet supposedly solid back only serving to establish the fact that it was impossible for his witness to have been practically in the library unknown to all the room's other occupants save probably alicia then he asked sabina's story of that night in her own words she began it grimly wall i was in behind the curtains dat hangs in front of miss licia's box dem curtains is moderate tin i couldn't see all day is in de room but i suttinly could see all dat pass in front of de lamp yes dat what you got in your hand and one of dem curtains here clemens checked her while the curtain exhibit b in the prosecution's evidence was passed from hand to hand through the jury box each juryman momentarily draped himself in mourning while he assured himself that it was thin enough to be seen through then with solemn nods exhibit b was restored to the district attorney sabina continued dees yer gemmen mr buckwiss and mr barber dey come in and right away de argifying started i can't tell all dey say dey use highfalutin educated language what am not familiar to me the lord knows has done here enough of it since miss licia come north with mars james moa dey argifies and argifies mr baba he don't say nothin much but mr buckus he specify dey should both up and leave miss licia she say mebbe somepin bad gwin happen purty quick mars james he say mr baba you go come back another time mr baba he say no he don't want to go case miss licia can mebbe help him some way mr buckus he go right up in de air he specifies some harm done come up he friend stayin round dere any longer mr buckus he am standin right alongside de big table with de lamp on it de lamp am behind him i see every move he make he done mutter somepin low and don't rightly know what he say but it have a right spiteful argifying tone to it mars james he holler out i fix you now fo dat no dem ain't mebbe de exact words he use but you asked me to tell dis in my own words 
and dat am what he mean yassa and we'll continue he holler i fix you now bodat and he rush over to mr burkus and lay hand on his arm no sir he didn't go for to do mr burkus no harm marsh james he have a way of talking loud and biggity but i never done saw him do no harm to nobody he grabbed mr burkus left arm mr burkus he reach out he other hand and grab something off the table marsh james done do nothing mr burkus he fro back he hand and hit out with it real smart marsh james let go he arm clap he hands over he face and sorta let's go all over he jest crumbled down like i knows dat de bad am happen i couldn't get out of de box easy into de room case dey's a table in it dat reach pretty high across and i ain't spry to climb over it no sir i didn't think to shove de table out of de way i ain't think of nothin but miss lycia i turns round and gets out de back cause i wants to get to my miss lycia i comes round to de hall door and goes in de library dey is mr burkus standin over mars james he hands all droppin blood i say you done kill him ain't you he looks all round kind of pitiful like and den he say yes abina i kill him now go fetch the doctor and some police mr bookus he am like lots of other high-spirited gemmen he don't go for to kill mars james but when mars james tetch him in anger he just bleeds for to do it dat's all right i got right to have my opinion same as everyone well don't put it in de writing record then i don't care what you does dat's just my opinion yassa i saw dat it war mr burkus grabbed de file and not mars james while mars james he standin with his left side to de table yassa i could sue enough tell which was which mars james he ain't so tall but pretty nigh a foot high as mr burkus it am de tall man who stand with de right side agin de table who take de file offen it no mars james don't try to do nothin hurtful to mr burkus no dey don't struggle round none at all dey just stand there it's de lord's truth dat was de most unexcited killin i have ever saw and then clemens let her go to the deep disgust of hydra outside the rail he had not asked what she was doing in the cabinet nor many other of the questions which gave an amusing double interest to the more murder all that however was bound to come out in the cross-examination and meantime sabina had proved clemens witness to an extent which made the case promise well of interest on its tragic side 
End of chapter 16. Recording by John Brandon.